Today I give you the behind the scenes look of what it's like to own a gun store in America in 2023. As you can imagine, that's a very challenging field to be in right now with the political climate that we're in. With that being said, the entrepreneur that we are interviewing today is a genius and he's grown his company from a startup out of his truck all the way to being where they're at today. I can't wait to share his story with you. His story, I guarantee, whether you're into guns or not, his entrepreneurial journey will resonate with you and you will learn something today on today's podcast. And today I'm interviewing Matt Hollis. He's the owner of Vice Armory in Michigan. And I can't wait to share with you his story because his story not only encouraged me to continue to be an entrepreneur, to, to continue to grow, but his ability to navigate through all of the roadblocks and challenges that he has faced is honestly amazing. And it's a really cool story to listen to. You have to think for yourself, are you capable of managing this responsibility? Yeah. Because once you pull that trigger, you can never get that shot back. Yeah. Business is a game. It's an infinite game, right? You have to find your tactics on how you're going to be successful. I would encourage people to think like, if you hate guns, just fine. You can hate guns. But what if something does happen? What are you going to do? Yeah. A baseball bat, kitchen knife, like just, just think through those things and how you're going to protect your family. Something like 11 million brand new gun owners in 2020 alone. Yeah. So you have all these guns going out the door and then people like me who are stocked up on ammo all the time, like they just went out and they were buying it out. This is a podcast that whether you're into guns, not into guns, you're going to be able to appreciate because the tone of the podcast is very appealing to anybody. Before we jump into the podcast, though, I want to make sure that we thank my editors for editing this video. They do such a great job, and I want you to check them out if you have any content at all that you might not want to edit or you the editing might be out of your league. Please check out NVN Creates. They're my editing team. Uh, without them, this podcast would be doomed because I don't have the bandwidth to edit everything. And uh, they do an excellent job for a fair price, and I couldn't recommend them enough. So if you want to check them out, their details are in the description below. I would recommend anyone to check them out because honestly, they are some of the best out there. And as we jump into the conversation, please hit that like button on the video. Hit the subscribe button if you're new. We are creating better and better content every episode, and I can't wait to share it with you guys. Thank you guys for being such loyal supporters of this podcast. I can't wait to keep it growing for you guys. Welcome to another episode of The Dylan England Show. Hey guys, welcome back to The Dylan England Show. Uh, thanks for coming back by. We have Matt joining us today. Matt is the owner of Vice Armory in Davidson, Michigan. Uh, Matt's story is awesome. We talked a little bit about it. Can't wait to share it on the podcast today. Matt. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. So for those that don't know, uh, I think the podcast has already been recorded. I don't know really which uh, way we're going to go, but we just recorded a podcast with your wife. Yes. Um, and his wife uh, is a coffee roaster, and it's a really cool thing where the show is actually partnering with Cool Beans, which is her company. We're partnering together to create blends for you guys, and uh, we just drink a lot of coffee before this uh, podcast. It's going to be wild. It's <laughs> Be ready. I, I haven't drinking this much coffee in a long time. But yeah, Matt's just keep topping it up. I have some here left over. So uh, enjoy this episode because we are both jittery, happy, uh, excited, wired. This is going to be a good episode. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited yeah. to have it. So Matt, tell tell the people a little bit just to kind of start the conversation. Tell us about Vice a little bit. Yeah. So uh, Vice Armory is a it's a firearms retailer. We're in Davison, Michigan. So. Uh, if you don't know where that is, it's yeah, there. Got the right hand. You know, real Michigander when we yeah. have to do the hand. Yeah, that's right. The point places. That's right. So we're like 15 minutes east of Flint, Michigan. We're about an hour and a half north of Detroit. And uh, we started the business uh, in my in my goat shed. When we added that context, it really, you know, a lot of people like remember that we started in a goat, goat shed. shed. If we just said we started in a shed, that's boring. They never remember, right? So we, in the very beginning, I was advertising. So we renovated a shed that we never actually operated the business out of due to, we, we didn't understand at the time, like ordinances and townships letting you have businesses at your home. We started there. I uh, had zero employees. Uh, me and two friends started the business and we Round like meeting people in the Walmart parking lot to sell magazines. That's totally legal. If you didn't know, you can do that. They're just plastic, okay? So or metal, right? So uh, and then we worked our way to where we had a storefront, and little by little, we grew the business to where we are today. And you have some, I think, exciting stuff to share where the business is going. And we'll Absolutely, get to that. we'll get to that in yeah. a little bit. Uh, so let's talk about in America, guns right now are like. 
kind of a hot topic. Absolutely. What made you say, you know what? I want to dive in this hornet's nest. Yeah. So I would say, you know, you don't know what you don't know as far as like, you know, what it's like to operate a certain type of business until you get there. And I don't regret, you know, starting this business. But part of it, like if I look back and I look at all the different learning experiences that we've had, like it was hard. So I had a passion for uh, for guns that was really born from my brother-in-law and my father-in-law. My brother-in-law, which is my sister's husband and my father-in-law, obviously my, my wife's dad, right? So my family had guns, but my dad, he'd take them out, he'd clean them. We'd, we'd shoot skeet once a year in the backyard, whatever. He wasn't like a really big advocate for them, like outspoken. Mm-hmm. There, We just, there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. But when I was a teenager, I got introduced to guns. And then when I came of age, I, I built my first AR-15, mm-hmm. right? The evil ones. Yeah. The killer. That's right. That's right. The seven, the, the people the, killer, the, the 5.56 millimeter NATO. Right. You know, so, uh, and when I built it, my, my brother-in-law was guiding me, which is again, totally cool. He was like, Hey, you put this here, you put that there and I'm doing it all with these hand tools. I get done. And he was like, okay, now when you build your next one. And I was like, dude, I don't need two, yeah. you know, like one's good. And he, he's like, he just laughed. He's like, okay. Yeah, okay. And then, you know, that passion evolved over time. And I think it rekindled in Taylor's dad. It rekindled uh, his passion because he had had some guns and we shared this bond over them. And uh, then I had this idea. So this is a long-winded story, but I worked for a company that I still work for. Uh, I have a day job. As I was working for that company, like I've always had these entrepreneurial passions. When Before Taylor and I got married, I had this like dream of like creating a... Uh, sportsman's like uh, destination. Like you can mm-hmm. go there and fish, you can go there and shoot. Like you actually have a pond. Like an can... adult camp Oh yeah, for like adults to yeah. relax and do all the outdoors. Yeah, stuff. you can bring your son, you can bring your daughter, you can, you know, whole family can come and you guys can go fish in this like lake or whatever that would be on the property. I had this, this idea and I had all these different like schemes of like how you could build it and make mm-hmm. it. And um, so like me and a friend who I met, uh, we had cross paths. He ended up working for me. We just started going to like Bob Evans on Saturdays talking about like, okay, like what type of business we could start. I actually had talked to a mutual acquaintance of ours, uh, friend Olivia. Mm -hmm. Um, So we talked to her about, I talked to her about her business and like maybe somehow helping that. And I was just so passionate looking for something to channel all the passion. So Come end of 2019, I was like, you know what? Let's do it. I'm gonna get the get this license. And so, me and two buddies, uh, we got together. One was the original friend of Bob Evans. Another another guy. We decided we we're gonna make a go of it. But we were like, yeah, it'll be like 10 years mm-hmm. before we have a storefront. We had a storefront before the end of that year. Wow. So it turned out that one of the partners he, he wanted you know to go a different way. So we you know we, we had an amicable separation before we really got you know crazy heavy. But um, throughout the year, you think about 2020. We started the business in January. Of and 2020. Of 2020, before oh, COVID. Good timing. Yeah, pre-COVID, right? And at the time, like, the gun market was depressed, like, mm-hmm. because, like, you had, you know, four years of uh, conservative leadership behind us. And so with that four years of conservative leadership, people had been lax. They weren't out there buying. So, like, we we got into it, and we're like, okay, maybe we'll make a couple grand, you know, this year. We started making contacts, and we kind in right around February, we had applied for our license, and then it got put on delay because of COVID. That's right when shutdowns. And, yeah, pro- yeah. Yeah. So we had some really interesting circumstances, some of which I am not legally allowed to disclose with suppliers where we were throughout the year able to get some things that were hard to get due Mm -hmm. to some agreements that we had with suppliers that they did not intend to uphold. And we got our legal counsel involved because of that. We became, we were a hole in the wall with no sign. And we were like, people would be standing in the line at our competitor in town being like, you got to go to this place. They have it way cheaper. We had it. We had it, you know, so we, we had the stuff. We, and it was ammo that we got. Uh, so we got all this ammo that nobody else had. You, we were paying ridiculous amounts of money for ammo. And we yeah. were like, yeah. I was like, I will not gouge. Yeah. And I actually had some people that were on the sidelines and somewhat had an investment in, in the business. And they were like, you guys should be charging more. And I was like, no, because I want to get, this is marketing. This is paid marketing. Yeah. Um, Smart. Right. So probably way more detailed than you wanted, but that's basically how it it was started. You know, it was like God timed that because like we had me and this buddy, we just had this burden in our heart, this passion that like 
that wouldn't go away. You can ask Taylor. It was like an obsession with like, okay, I want to figure this out. And our whole drive, and like if you look at like our mission statement, like our whole drive was like, hey, we want to try and have a business that puts our employees first. Okay, so like by putting employee first, we believe that the customer actually becomes first. Yeah. Right? Because if you have happy people and good people, generally they're going to make sure that the customer experience is good because they want to continue this thing, this mm. this organism that you're creating together. Yeah. You know, a business is alive, yeah. right? Yep. So they want to keep it going because they like working here, right? So that, that has been from the beginning. We're like, okay, employees first, and then like we're going to we, – we work in an environment. Uh, we worked in, a, in a, an environment where we didn't always have control over the decisions, right, because there's ownership and management and stuff like that. So we are like, hey, let's just – this is an experiment. Let's just see if we just try our best to do the right thing, and we are human. We fail all the time, right? Well, let's just try our best to do the right thing, and let's just see where it goes. Mm. And if it grows, great. And if it doesn't, what's the worst thing that we did? Had fun and wasted some time. Like Maybe a little money. Yes. It's a, it's, if nothing else, you know, in the beginning, the concept in, it still is. Like, if the worst thing that we do is that we got to where we made it today, then, like, we're pretty happy. Great. Right? Yeah. We want more. We're ambitious, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, like, we never thought that we'd be to where we are today, you know? Mm-hmm. Like... So walk me through that. Uh, when you start a gun store, because I don't know anything about the logistics of owning a gun store. Um, and honestly, I don't know anything about merchandising pretty much at all. Uh, so, Neither did I. <laughs> yeah, so this is where we go ask dumb questions, baby. Do you have to purchase the whatever you're selling, ammo, guns, in full? Like, do you have to purchase then in hopes that you're going to resell them? Yeah. So, so then there has to be a lot of capital to start a gun store. I mean, unless you're just selling like, one handgun and some ammo, right? Yeah, for sure. So that's a great question. So like any in my, you know, my day job is logistics, supply chain, purchasing, vendor relations. So like I had come from a bigger company where I had a lot of buying power. And so like it was nothing for me to go to a supplier and not like make iron fist demands, but be very comfortable asking for what I wanted in a very uh, persuasive way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and I understand the concept of leverage and purchasing power and um, and understood it, you know, a bit then. I've learned, I'm always learning. I don't know it all. Uh, I learn every, something every single day. So when we first started, me and these two guys, we collectively put in 20 grand. Uh, that was our starting Each. capital. 20 grand total, total. Okay. right? Okay. So we, you know, we started talking with suppliers and about early February, uh, sorry, late February, early March, we started, I started, I'm like, I was in tune with the ammo market. Okay, so that was a pitch that I made to get a to get the job that I had where I was working to get promoted into the mm. role I was in at the time was, hey boss, I don't know anything about purchasing, but I can tell you what the cost of nine mil is today per round, mm. and I can tell you when it's cheap, when it's expensive. So we started to see this market dry, dry up of ammo. So we, I just started cold calling manufacturers because I didn't know anything about wholesale. Yeah. So I was just like, okay, I know that this guy makes this, this guy makes this, this guy makes this. And we got like 10 no's and then I got one yes. And the guy's like, okay, we have a shipment that will be coming in in late June. So we started posting on Facebook and like I was a huge Gary, I still am a huge Gary V advocate for mm-hmm. a lot of his content, especially like with like just social media can be such a tool that's under leveraged, right? right. In general. So start posting, family, friends, and we were just doing pre-orders with a $10 deposit. So it's like very risk averse. People didn't know us. They'd be like, is this legit? I'm sure it seemed like like I was like, like a uh, scammy. Yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a prince that's going to get you millions of dollars or whatever. <laughs> but uh, so the first order came in and we actually, so we, we did three orders all together. Order number two and three were the debacle because we had $144,000 of ammunition on order, which by the way, I didn't even know I was going to pay for it. Order number one came in a week late, but things were smooth. We flipped it, and we only made like 20%, which in the gun world actually is a lot. But given the mm-hmm. market and the climate, we could have done better. So you made how, like how much? Like so- Oh, like three grand. Yeah. So we made like, okay, okay so we made helpful. like, that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So we, we made like, it's not 140 or whatever you said. No, no, no. No. So yeah, the first order we made like three grand. And then like, I started to, I'm like, man, you can't get ammo anywhere. So I just started like, order, 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 order. And I was like, looking at my credit cards and I'm like, okay, like I can cover it. But it was supposed to phase in over the course of four months. And, it, and so order number one comes in in June. And then order number two is supposed to be uh, August. And the August order never showed up. And I'm calling. They stopped taking my calls. 
I've got customers hounding me. I'm like, hey, look, I promise we're going to make it right. Uh, you fast forward. So I'm calling, 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 calling. All the, and this is during COVID. So people are in the office. you already paid for this, right? I had not prepaid for that. Ooh, that's because, helpful. Yeah. That's so, helpful. Right. I had not prepaid. I would have cried. <laughs> I hadn't prepaid. But I had an order confirmation, which turns out, uh, after talking to our, our attorney, that me placing a purchase order and them acknowledging the order is a binding contract to that order. Sure. That is, yeah, that that is that's the law. And most people in this space don't play by those rules. So, and again, uh, I got to be careful how much I share, but this is all good so far. So fast forward to like end of October and I've got people all over me. And then the November shipment's supposed to be coming in. And that's when they were like, hey, we have some, we can't promise you when it's going to be here. But you're 140, you're actually going to need to pay 220 for that. I pre-sold all of it. I pre-sold every case. So we did the math and I was like, okay, with our profit margin, I will lose $40,000 to sell this. We can't do that. So we engaged some counsel. A counsel got a hold of their counsel. The counselors counseled each other. And we ended up with a, a settlement where we did accept a higher price, but we got more quantity, more supply. And the agreement was, mm-hmm. hey, you give me extra stuff that I can sell so I can offset my losses. And we went back to our clients and I called 300 people, literally over 300 people. And I said, hey, here's a situation. I, I, I can break even and I can give, or I can give you your, your deposit back. I'm so sorry. It's not the way that we do business. 299 people like were great. They were like, hey, some people like keep the money. I don't need it. I appreciate what you did. You called me. Some people are like, hey, I'll take it. If you have any more, let me know. And then one guy was like, you know, he was upset. So uh, right around that, so we get the ammo in December, January, the insurrection at the Capitol occurs, in air quotes, right? Not to get too political, but- um, The walk through the Capitol? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the, the insurrection occurred, and then people started going bananas. We had just gotten our gun license, and we- um, had built a relationship with a small firearms manufacturer. So now we're bringing in affordable guns that nobody has. One other piece of information is I got my firearms license in November, and I had been ordering, from the minute I got the license, I've been ordering like crazy the serialized portion of an AR-15 because that's like a bread and butter item that I knew I could sell because of the market that I was in. And the people that I knew, I had a bunch of contacts from my days pre-gun dealer yeah. that would buy this stuff. Yeah. So I had I had 200 of those stacked mm-hmm. up. And I bought them at, say, 40 bucks a piece, something like that. The manufacturer raised their price right after January 6th to like 120 a piece, which is crazy it's margin. Like a 200% increase. Yes. And so then we went and we were selling for like... 70 bucks a piece. So we're beating their price by $50 a piece. We're making good margin and we're attracting a customer base because we had it and everybody else is out. So we had Mm -hmm. the ammo, we have the guns. We couldn't get some other basic necessities. Mm -hmm. And our first, when we started, when we had the storefront, our first area was like uh, probably 200 square feet. That was it. We're uh, literally a hole in the wall, no checkout counter, no nothing fancy, one computer. Trying not to get all excited, but we had one employee. And it just kind of, you know, it grew. And as as we grew, our building got, you know, we amended it and uh, we, you know, we, we changed some things. And um, yeah, and uh, so our goal, just one more thing real quick. I know I'm a talker, but. Love it. Yeah, our, our goal, our second goal. So the first goal is, okay, employees are number one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then goal number two is I wanted to have a store that I would be comfortable taking my children into because I've been into other stores that, the guy behind the counter was disgruntled, yeah. you know, grump, a little more adult grumpy. theme type, yeah, yeah. yeah. profanity and, and profanity yeah. and so that kind of stuff. You know, uh, no, no patience. You know, so like one thing that we strive for, don't always get it right, but one thing that we strive for is like we try and be the personable gun store. We love new gun owners. We love people that are brand new that come in and they say, I've never bought a gun before. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, let me take 45 minutes with you. We're going to walk through all of your options. I'm going to tell you something about each one and what I think. And then, um, you know, we'll walk you through what you need, what the rules are. We love taking the time. So like everybody in our staff is very personable um, and they love taking the time with a client it helped them get what they really need and not just sell them the product that makes us the most margin. And that's something that like we drive home like, okay, if we make, you know, gun margins are, are really not good. Okay. Okay, so like new guns, you can expect 10%, like a, a new Glock. Glock is a really? brand. Okay, so new, it's like 250 or 150, yeah. I don't know. So new, new Glock, for instance, if I'm paying, if I'm charging 520, 519.99 for a new Glock, 
I'm probably paying between 450 or 475 for that gun. In fact, and it depends on when I buy it. Is this new from is this like hiked prices because of current administration or has it always been this tight of margin? It's always been this tight. And that's why most people, you know, they don't understand okay, we talked about before uh, we got on live that, you know, business is a game. It's an infinite game, right? Simon yeah. Sinek, right? Okay, so yeah, business is a game. I why. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, like, you have to find your tactics mm-hmm. on how you're going to be successful. And so we have things that we do to remain successful. We have a, a laser engraver that we where we do customization, and that is a, uh, that's a, that's a profit machine. And, you know, so, some people might be like a profit machine. I want it cheaper now, but we have to maintain our margin because like the Glock gets you in the door. And then after that, and in fact, ammo is really getting tight now too. It used to be 2020. If I bought a case of nine millimeter, I might pay $500 for a thousand rounds. And the, uh, that's what we were paying for a long time, which is crazy because today it's like we're, we pay less than half of that. So 2020, you couldn't get it. Other shops are charging a buck around for Target stuff, and today you can buy that Target stuff for like two sixty for a thousand rounds, so twenty six mm. cents around. But the profit margin on ammo used to be better, but the supply for a little guy Why like me. Why was it so expensive during COVID? Okay, Is so that administration stuff. Yeah, so uh, you have riots going on, you have um, uncertainty, you have. The government is uh, overreaching in many people's opinions. So a lot of people wanted a tangible insurance policy. And then you have things like the media. So, you know, the media really pushing narrative. Okay, so people wanted a tangible insurance policy. So um, I don't know the exact number, so don't quote me on this, but something like 11 million brand new gun owners in 2020 alone. So this is a supply and demand thing. Right. Yeah. So you have all these guns going out the door, and then people like me who are naturally like, prepared, not necessarily prepper, mm-hmm. but I stocked up on ammo all the time. Like they just went out and they were buying it out. And then other people saw an opportunity to make money in the middle. So they would so go, they, oh, they raid Dunham's and they'd resell it all day for like double. They would like, I, I know a guy that he would go into so Dunham. Why couldn't the manufacturers make more? Is that just a regulator thing? Oh, this is no, it's actually really interesting. So 2019, because gun, the gun world was in such bad shape. In terms of uh, ec- yeah, economically, um, the you, Remington went out of business. Mm-hmm. Federal was bought by Vista. Federal Federal is a huge. So Vista is like a big uh, corporation. Mm-hmm. So Vista has been buying up a ton of people. So Federal, I don't know that that happened in 19 that Federal sold to Vista, but Remington went out of business. And so you have uh, these guys aren't making any money. So they're not investing in new equipment. Um, and this is again an outsider's point of view. It's not like I've talked to the CEO yeah, of yeah, federal. Yeah, these are our, our opinions. Yeah, yeah observation, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, like, because like in nineteen, you could buy that same case of ammo for one hundred and fifty bucks and get a fifty dollars mail and rebate. So you're paying like hundred, hundred twenty dollars for this case of nine mil versus versus a thousand dollars for the same case. So this is like a year before twenty twenty. This is three months before. This is, yeah, this is December. I was buying those deals for myself personally and my friends. I'd order in for my friends. Because they don't want to be on a list, you don't you get it to us. Be, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so you it was supply and demand, and it was because these um, businesses were going out of business because they weren't profitable, and so then they were reducing their um, mm-hmm. they were reducing the output, and then you start to see spikes in demand, and then you have to think about okay, if you're in that if you're that CEO, are you going to add? more plant space to meet demand that you're not sure how long it's going to last? Or are you going to produce as much as you can, sell it as high as you can, and keep, it actually was in their best interest to not uh, produce more, right? Why meet the demand? If you keep that demand high and you you just maintain your supply level, the demand's not going to go away on its own. You're going to have to fill it. So I always thought, I, for whatever reason, I always thought that the reason why ammo was so expensive was a government thing. No, and uh, you know there are instances where uh, the government may purchase large sums from a manufacturer, which may constrain. Because mm-hmm. if federal sells a billion rounds to somebody, then is seller and blot going to have to yeah. make up in the in the market? You know that so it's possible that that plays into it. And again, I'm not a market but, expert. Yeah, but overall, it's more of just a supply and oh, demand. Yeah. And you know, even if they did try, like by the time the factory was done to re- reach the new output, it could. Craze could be over. Exactly. It wouldn't make any sense for them to necessarily do that. Exactly. So then why would um, 
why so ammo prices have gone down Wait a bit. but they haven't gone down bef- to where they were pre-2020 right no and i don't think that they will for a while and there's a couple reasons for that but the first thing is that uh while okay so you have this massive inflation 10x that's mm-hmm. about what it was inflation and price price inflation now we've deflated but in the meantime wages and electricity and everything else costs more to, to, due to natural inflation so in my perspective, like prices are still dropping, but much less dramatically than 21 and 22. So 21 was peak, 22 was like a waterfall. Yeah, that's the year that we went from a thousand dollars a case or a thousand dollars a case for a thousand rounds to like they ended the year. We ended the year like four hundred dollars a case, mm-hmm. and then we've been on a, a slower trajectory down. So, so now is not a bad time to buy ammo. No, historically, and, like in the recent right. Years. What I tell people is my personal tactic is I, I buy a little bit consistently. It's like investing. Okay. So like if you are waiting to time your money for the stock market, like it's like a lot more losers than winners. Right. But if you're just consistently putting in the 401k, then like over or Roth IRA, whatever investment tool, right. If you're just consistently investing, then over time you're going to get some good buys and some bad buys, but Mm -hmm. generally speaking, you'll be okay. And that's what we, I recommend is, Hey, you know, don't wait till you need a thousand rounds come in by, if your paycheck will allow you to buy a couple boxes a week, stop in on the way home from work, buy a couple boxes a week, uh, and then just put it in your safe. And then your average price per round will never never be crazy and you'll probably won't be wanting, right? Mm-hmm. If, you know, God forbid we have another pandemic and you can't get ammo anywhere and you want that in your home because it makes you feel safe yeah. or whatever, yeah. then you have it, you yeah. know? I know that during COVID, you know, we have protection for the house and uh, buying rounds was like, insane you yeah. couldn't even find them right like you couldn't even find what we were looking for half the time i had to have a buddy just give me some just because it's just like hey just just to have to to stay you know safe and yeah. make sure you're prepared and uh you know now it's good to know though that the prices have come down to maybe a little bit more of a, a reasonable um price question though do you with owning a gun store i'm cu- I'm curious i'm sure people that are watching this are curious with the, the anti-gun climate that we live in in america and the narrative that you know the classic guns kill people you know yeah. it's like a pencil doesn't misspell <clears throat> your, yeah. your word that you're writing but right. whatever you know um do you have you had to deal with any protesters have you had to deal with any people coming in the store causing disruptions uh, or has it actually been a pretty smooth operation from that side of things for you guys? Yeah. Like, you know, I'd say politically, that's the way I would classify that. It's been extremely smooth. You know, we've had, uh, and you have to think too, we're in a more rural setting. Okay. So like, you know, Lapeer is farms and, you know, you go further North and you have farms and you go, you know, like we're a long ways from city, from the city. So generally supportive, you know, the local community, we had some eyebrows raised because like, you know, they're like, what are they doing? Open I have a buddy who's super connected. He's like, yeah, you, you have a couple of people that like our neighbors that aren't too enthused, but we don't have like a shooting range. So there's not a noise issue. We close at seven o'clock in the evening. So it's not like we're there late, you know, keeping the lights on. And um, so generally, yeah, generally we haven't had like protesters or anything like that. And like, we welcome differing opinions. So yeah. we have some people come in the store who are uh, maybe way further uh right than than I am and I'm I think I'm right wing right so but I'm not like crazy right yeah I don't think so we have some people come in and they say some stuff and we're like oh very cool you know it's awesome and as sure, long as brother. it's not endangering other people yeah. or illegal yeah. then we're like yeah man that's yeah. awesome good for you uh and we'll have a constructive conversation or share opinions with people in a very like positive way and at the same time like uh we have you know we welcome everybody so if you are uh super left but you want, you're curious. In fact, I have a friend who is like left, 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 left. Now he tells me he's center left, but to me, he's polarizingly left. Okay. And he actually was like, Hey, it would be awesome if you could take my son and daughter and give them a gun safety lesson, take them to the range, let them shoot it. He was like, I want them to be exposed to this stuff. He's like, they might not like it, but I'll let them choose for themselves, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. Right. So we, maybe he is center left because- Possibly. Don't think a left, 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 oh, left person would do that. He's he's pretty left. But anyway, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we welcome everybody. And if you want to come and have a constructive conversation, like, yeah. absolutely. Like, let's go sit down and talk. Well, I think, and, and that's where I wish more people were like, like, in anything, in politics and religion. And 
in America, we've gotten so like, I don't want to have a conversation. I want you to hear my opinion. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. And so it's cool to hear that you guys are not, you know, condemning one party or anything like that. Like we just want people to be educated, you know, how this works and you can make that decision if it's for you or not for you. That's, that's a encouraging stance that I wish more people would take. So that's cool. Yeah. To me, like the more people as just, if we just talk about business dollars and cents, the more people that own guns, the more financially invested people are in guns. So if you're a, somebody who is more left-leaning and you have a gun in your home that you purchased for 500 bucks, a thousand, you're going to be a lot less apt to just relinquish that investment financially because you paid for it. And maybe that was a hard thing for you to do, but you wanted to have one in your home for whatever reason. And we actually, we get that a lot where people are like, I don't really want a gun, but I want me and my wife to have one in the home just in case. And that's so cool. So uh, the other thing is the more that that folks that might have a different ideology than me experience this, maybe mm. the the less uh, scary it may seem, maybe the more understanding they may become because they may understand my point of view better. Well, there's also a fear of the unknown because yeah. like, especially people that have never held a gun before yep. and then they watch the news and it's like, you know, oh, if I hold a gun, I'm going to have a Trump flag and that guy is going to yeah. change everything. Yeah. No, no. Like, yeah. like, I don't know since when did guns mean Republican. It's just crazy to me. But anyway, whatever. Like it's a, if you, I grew up in Ohio, so I grew up skeet shooting. Uh, you know, I grew up like we had 22s in the home and it was like, it was just not a weird thing to see someone handle a gun. Like my dad wasn't a hunter. Um, I never really went hunting, but all my friends were hunters. And like, it wasn't weird to have me a 12 year old with another 12 year old with a 22 walk in going hunting with my friend and his dad. Like that just wasn't a weird thing for us. And when you learn safety and you learn things like that, um, but for people that have never experienced that before, and then they, they hear how dangerous and evil these things are, I could see the trepidation for people. Um, mm-hmm. But then also the battle that they're like, well, at the same time, I feel like I also want to protect my family. So yeah. I don't I don't really know where to go from here, you know? Yeah, and I so mean, that's I think if 2020 taught us anything, or uh, I know a lot of people that previously did not want to own a gun started to consider it and buy them, 11 million new gun owners, right, that don't that's have crazy. never owned a gun before. Um, and that continue on, the statistics are different for uh, 2020, 2021, 2022. The thing that I think it taught us is that, you know, like for all of the respect that we give law enforcement, military, the mm-hmm. people who protect us, like when things like that happen, they can't get everywhere all the time. And that, you know, that you have, I believe that I have a fundamental responsibility yeah. to protect my family and nobody can, uh, nobody's going to protect my family or be more passionate than I am. So you may not share that point of view or a viewer may not share that point of view, but when I look around and it's like, you know, all the things that were going on, you know, people were being hurt that mm-hmm. weren't being protected and the police couldn't get to them or they couldn't handle it all or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like that's, that to me, I want to have well, that this ability to do that. this is an important conversation. Yeah. I'm actually really glad we're having this because let's say there's a listener here that is just like anti-gun. And um, I believe that God has given, and you can call me a sexist, but we're going to cut this up as a short and I'm going to be painted as a villain, but it's a God-given right for the man to protect his home. That is my right. Like I I have to protect my home. That is my God-given responsibility to protect my home, protect my daughter, protect my wife, and my dog can protect me. Okay. (laughs) You know, and so then it's like, okay, fine. You don't want a gun. You can't live in a utopian society where everything's all happy. Like you do have to at least sometimes be like, okay, if crap does hit the fan, I have someone in my house with a gun robbing me with my my family's life in danger. What are you going to do? Right. Like I think it's helpful to take a break from our crazy society, especially if you're a man or you're a woman. I don't care. Like what are you going to do in those situations? Um, I I think both of us, anyone that that owns guns, we never want to use them. And that's, I think, a big portrayal that the media pretends that a lot of people that like guns and own guns are like, they just can't wait to use it. And that's farthest from the truth. It's a tool. Yeah. It's a tool that you're like- It's a last resort. I've tried everything else, which is why, you know, I recommend, uh, I mean, you might, I think you'll probably agree. It's like, that's why if you want a home defense weapon, get a pump action shotgun. Um, for example, that's what I was told, because the pump sound can't actually deter people. You might not agree with shotguns, yeah, but because they can shoot through walls and whatever. But well, to each his own, right? Yeah, but like for me, the reason why I got a pump action was because I wanted someone to hear a sound before I had to go, and that was just my personal way to try to like take every last resort before I would right. ever have to use anything. And so uh, I would encourage people to think like, if you hate guns, which is fine, you can hate guns. 
But what if something does happen? What are you going to do? Yeah. You got a baseball bat, you got a kitchen knife. Like just, just think through those things and how you're going to protect your family is, is all I, that's like my, my soapbox I got on for a second. Yeah. One of the things that I um, kind of left out was uh, that previously when I turned 21, I got my concealed pistol license. You have to have that in Michigan to be able to carry a firearm on you concealed. And um, the class that I took was not the best. And I was like, okay, like I like public speaking. Um, I like guns. So I started, I got my certification. I took the training to do it. And then I got my uh, license to train through the NRA. And, um, you know, like one of the things that we teach, we teach about in the class, which if you are new to guns, like take a class, like it's, Mm -hmm. it's a hundred bucks or whatever, 125 bucks, depending on where you go, but it's normally very helpful. We teach about, okay, when is it appropriate legally and then what is the aftermath going to be um, of using that? And it's not just what's the legal aftermath and what your responsibilities are, but also psychologically. Because, you know, we, as somebody, I feel like having owning a gun is a tremendous responsibility to keep track of it, know where it's at, is it in safe hands, you know, is it locked up, Are can you can your kids access, all that stuff. There are new laws coming out about that in Michigan, but besides that, um, and then like when when are you going to choose to use it and yeah. can you handle that responsibility and that's a question that we pose to every student is you have to think for yourself are you capable of managing this responsibility yeah. because once you pull that trigger you can never get that shot back yeah. so you know we teach and most credible teachers would tell you that the firearm is the tool of last resort. Mm-hmm. You don't draw a gun until you're ready to use it. And you only use it if your life is in danger of great bodily harm, uh, death, or sexual assault. Those are the three things. And that is what the that is essentially what the law in Michigan states, which is very common sense. Somebody's trying to run me over with a car, or they're trying to, you know, mm-hmm. pound my head into the pavement until, you know, I, I die or am mm-hmm. maimed, have brain damage. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Most people would say, yeah. yeah, you should defend yourself. And other than that, any other use of a firearm, you're you're in in some in some danger. Not yeah. that you're definitely going to jail, but so here, here's well, a question. Pretty, here's a question yeah. for you. I'm in the car, or I'm pumping gas. Somebody runs up to the car, starts bashing in the window where my daughter's sitting. Okay, to try to like snap her real quick, to, to like take her. Technically, my life's not in danger. Her life might be in danger. I don't know. I know, you know, if I had my concealed carry. My first option if I see my daughter being taken is use the gun to stop my daughter from being taken. That would just be my, like, that. I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect my family. But if the law looks at that and the courts look at that and say, you could have done, you could have tried to punch him and you could have tried to tackle him and you could, like, yeah, it's so. a really slippery slope and it's a scary slope. To, to, to use something like a tool like that. But so I knowledge feel, is power. Okay, yeah, so knowledge so is power. That's where it's helpful. Yeah, so he, here's what the law says in the state of Michigan. One of the, if you actually read the law, I'm not an attorney. I'm not giving legal Not giving yes. legal advice. I have to tell that to every class. But, not legal advice. But if that. you read the statutes in Michigan, the, they really, so in 2006, they really defined your rights and responsibilities. There are additional updates that have happened in 2013, 2015. Now there's more updates that are not good for us, but most of these make sense. And what the law states is that if someone is in the process of uh, removing somebody a- against their will from a uh, vehicle, in this in this case, somebody's trying to kidnap your daughter, that that is a, a justifiable use of force. Now, there's a doctrine within the law that is the force to force continuum, which says that you are allowed to use whatever force your assailant is using. And if they're using a force greater than yours, then you can upgrade your force to the next available force to you. What does that mean? If a guy comes up and he punches you in the face in in a restaurant and there are no weapons present and you draw your gun and you blow him away, you could be you could be prosecuted. For manslaughter. Could right? be, right? Could be. Yeah. And that's really... you took it from one yeah. and you escalated it completely did you, Yeah, level. Yeah. Did you have to use mm-hmm. a gun? No, because he punched you. Now, there are a hundred different con- contingencies. But if somebody comes up to you with a knife or a baseball bat and all you have is your gun on you, you don't have to go look for a baseball bat. What the law says is that you can upgrade your force. And if the gun is the next thing you have available, you upgrade your force and... Ultimately, you know, what what we tell people is the concept is called imminent danger. Mm-hmm. Is it right here, right now? Is it unavoidable? Mm-hmm. And is uh, my life or the life of an innocent person in, in jeopardy? And like mm-hmm. you said, somebody is 
bashing in your window where your daughter's at and you don't know their intent and you're going to go likely before a grand jury. Mm -hmm. So you're going to talk to nine reasonable citizens and you're going to say, I was pumping gas. It was late at night. A a person that I did not know was breaking into the vehicle where my child was and I didn't know their intentions and I didn't have time. I thought her life was in danger and I had to I had to act quickly. It was a yeah. split second decision. You know, you might have to end up going into a trial. Sure. But if you can convince those people, your peers, that, hey, somebody's breaking in the window where my kid's at, I think most reasonable people, regardless of political I'm protecting my kid. Yeah. Would be like, okay, makes sense. And in yeah. fact, it would really come down to is the prosecutor even going to try and try it? Most yeah. prosecutors would be like, nah, I'm not touching yeah, it. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So like the laws in, in Michigan spell out a lot of very specific scenarios. I had a, a business owner who said, hey, I'm in a bar. Uh, actually, a bar is a bad example. A lot of technica- technicalities there. We're going to get away from that. But he owned a, a bar restaurant and he said, hey, if I'm in, if I'm in a business and I'm closing up shop at night and some of these, you know, rioters or hooligans break in my business, and am I allowed to defend myself? And the law uh, in the state of Michigan actually spells out that, again, I'm not a lawyer, but if you look up the statute, it spells out that uh, if you are breaking and entering a, a home, dwelling, or a place of business, because if you think about it, if, you, if you're a secretary at a business, you're yeah. filing files late or whatever, and somebody's in the building and you don't know them and you don't know their intent, you don't have to stick around and figure out if what they're trying to trying to do. If you feel that your life's in danger, you're going to have, you know, you can mm-hmm. protect yourself. So there's a lot of things that are spelled out that a lot of people are unaware of. And there are a lot of like old wives tales that people are like, if, you know, if somebody is uh, outside and they're threatening me, I got to shoot them. If I shoot them outside, I got to drag them inside because if they're in, inside, there's a wives tale that says you should do that. You said you should absolutely not do that. Yeah. That like looks if, really bad. If you feel that like looks- you're, if you, if you can justify your reasonable belief, mm-hmm. you, know, you can justify to your, your peers. Your life was in danger. Your life was in danger. And you have the right to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. And the law says you have the right to defend yourself anywhere that you have the right to be, legally have the right to be. So if you are if you are breaking and entering in a building, okay, your rights just went out the window, yeah, right? Right, right, right. But if, if you're, you're in your own home. Yeah, if you're in your home uh, or if you're, you know, whatever, the different areas could get stickier. But if you're in your home, if you're in your garage and some stranger comes in and you don't know what's going on and they're acting erratically, you feel your life's in danger, you can defend yourself anywhere that you legally have the right to be. You don't have to drag them in the threshold. Don't fabricate ever evidence. That's yeah. really bad. I mean, like you said, knowledge is power. And again, for the people listening to the podcast, like I think we're talking about like this is worst case scenarios <laughs> and what's legal, not legal. You know, for anyone that's going to comment and be like, you guys are just trying to use guns. Like that's not what we're talking about. We're just trying to be like, I'm just curious on what the law is for worst case scenario happens. I think anyone with their right mind is going to try to de-escalate any situation before this has to happen. Right. But knowing what is okay and what isn't okay is actually like what you guys stand for. It's like we want our citizens in Michigan to be educated on this tool that we sell. And it's cool that you don't just stop at, hey, we sell guns. It's We actually educate people on how to use guns and how to use it responsibly. And that's, I think, a really cool thing on, on why people should look at you guys as someone to purchase from or just to go visit, to ask questions. I mean, it's kind of a cool... Your knowledge has shocked me. Like, I'm not shocked, but it was just kind of like, you know, he's a gun owner. I didn't know at what level, but like, it's impressive the amount that you've looked into this to, to make sure you're trying to do this safely and uh, what's best for people, which is really cool. Yeah. Here's a quick question to kind of sidebar. Let's go back to your business. So you started with one employee. Yes. Well, you actually started in your goat shed. Yes. And then you've got a storefront. And where are you at now? So it's... July of 2023, three years, two and a half, three years down the line. Where are you at now? How's business looking? Um, Okay, so we had this huge crescendo. Uh, You know, our first year, uh, we did like half a million dollars in sales in six months with one employee. And that was only having having a gun license for four four weeks prior to the end of the year. Um, Year two, uh, we did uh, 2.1, 2.2, something like that million. And a lot of like, like, you know, if you guys watch Taylor's podcast, whatever order they come out in, a lot of well, like I one night I was there like just unloading case up a full pallet of twelve gauge at like midnight. A buddy that was a customer came there to buy something from me. He stayed and helped me unload the pallet. Super cool dude. So thank you, Ben, for that. But okay, so then twenty twenty two was flat. 
So, you know, we, we lost a little bit of ground, but we found ways to make our business a little bit more profitable. So mm-hmm. we kind of stay pretty flat. Sure. So we're currently in Davison in a store. Uh, this year is looking flat again, which the last year, the, our market saw a 25% recession. Mm-hmm. So actually I was talking to a supplier that's in the, in the know. And he was telling me that like, there are a ton of stores closing right now because they pop up a store. They have a license. They pop up a store when things are good. They sell, sell, sell. Things get bad. They shut it down. They're not worried about branding. They're simply a service provider there to sell guns. And then when things get tough, they fire their employees. And then they then they you know basically Wait. ghost for yeah. you know four or five more years. So the market is definitely softening, and so that means that we just have to play the game differently. We just bought a building, which is exciting. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, yes. congrats. Yeah, so this year was a ton of like admin stuff. Like this year we got our uh, business line of credit secured. It's not right for every business, but for mm-hmm. us, I thought it was smart because I see the market changing and I wanted to be sure that we had sufficient capital to be able to take care of our employees if we have a rough patch. Yeah. So we went through that process, cool learning process. And I'll just say like, if somebody's starting a business out there, like nobody's going to be a good advocate for you except you. And if you need something or you want something, ask passionately until you're absolutely sure the answer is no. Because I got told by the same bank no two times. And I got to a point where I was like, hey, if you don't want to loan money to a to a gun store, I mean, I have $300,000 in inventory as collateral. If you don't want to loan, you know, loan me money, just tell me. I'll stop wasting my time. Yeah. And then they're like... The dude was super cool, by the way. So yeah. shout out to the to the loan officer because he was like, "Hey, that's not it. Let me go to my manager. We'll see what we can do." They started us out with a little little line, line. yeah, and then yeah, and we're gonna see. You know, he's like, "Hey, show us what you're gonna do, and let's build a relationship." Mm-hmm. So we we did that. We bought a building. Um, that was a process, and now we're in the process of getting the building ready, and we'll that's be awesome. moving in hopefully hopefully end of August. So we'll also be in Davison. It's in Lapeer. Lapeer. So it's it's about uh, eight miles from where we're at. Nice, man. And a lot of people are like, okay, why did you buy a building? Okay, so the number one reason that we bought a building, because right now we're on the main interstate, M15 in Davison, and we're north of town. People are like, why did you buy a building? So first of all, we can't have signage where we're at, out by the road. We're not allowed to because it's a a uh, MDOT-controlled highway, which means that you have to be 50 feet off the center line of the road. And then there's additional restrictions on the, the size. It's very regulated because they maintain the road, and that's the rules. We're also on an industrial piece of property where we have to have foliage out front oh. to block the view. It's industrial zoned. Uh, so the new spot, we can have signage. And then also, if uh, if you're a business owner and you have uh, and you uh, start to see what your taxes look like when you have to when you have to claim things on yeah. your taxes properly, yeah. you start to look for strategies. And one of those is real estate. So we yes. actually opened up a holdings company that owns the building that we're leasing to ourselves, and that's 100 percent legal. It's yeah. the it's smart thing smart. to do. Yeah, a lot of people do that because you can depreciate the real estate. And, and we were looking at doing <clears> something <throat> like that for the the coffee shop we were looking to start. Okay. If we were gonna if yeah. we were gonna start a coffee shop and figure that out, so that's smart. That's that, guys. That's so exciting. Good for you guys. Yeah, and not to mention, like you know, when it comes generally, and I could be wrong, but even when you're buying something, it's going to cost less than what your rent is would be. Yeah, and so and you start getting some equity. I mean, commercial real estate can be hard to sell, but there's always going to be a buyer eventually. Normally, as long as the building is kept in good condition, mm-hmm. and so you're also even building more business equity by just not renting. Like, yeah, so that's cool, man. Yeah, absolutely. And it for us, it was also a relationship builder with the bank to be like, you know, again. The more that they can see that you're fiscally responsible, the more that they trust you. And like, we don't use debt as a regular tool. Mm. Uh, it's it's a tool of last resort, right? Yeah. We use it when we have to use it. It's available. But uh, anyway, um, yeah. So that that's exciting, and it, it's bigger. It's ours, and so it's next to an ice cream shop, and then two doors down, there's like a biker club of some type. Oh, and I was like, clientele, man. Yeah, that's the clientele. Best. That's the best. Spot. We're gonna we're gonna get you guys some patches and stickers yes. and stuff, and yeah, yes, that's gonna be great. Mm-hmm. And you could like get, uh, deal with the ice cream shop, or I don't know, like hand out bullets to children or something. <laughs> no, we will not be doing that. <laughs> that's great. So you are you bought a building. What's your staff look like right now? Because you guys are growing. You went from one employee. You have a yeah. couple now, right? Yep. So we have um, five uh, full time people. Um, we have a couple of part-time people that work remote that do uh, admin stuff for us that we've all had to, we've mm. had to learn how to do all on our own. So like, you know, bookkeeping and stuff. I thought I knew a lot and I figured that out through a really painful process. But yeah, so uh, yes, yeah, so we have like probably, I think nine people processing our payroll 
and then we have some summer help, you know, uh, some people that they're, they're kids who are of age, you know, they're in their twenties yeah. that come in and they help us on odd days and stuff like that. Dude, that's great. So one employee to now owning your own building. And the craziest thing is you've done this all on the side. Yeah. Like you still have a job yeah. that you work at. I don't like where, when do you have time? Like, like that's, I don't know. <clears throat> when do you, do you sleep at all? Like so I, I sleep, I sleep normally pretty well. Uh, and, and I, I get my sleep. So a couple of things, one, our staff and our customers make our business. Mm-hmm. And like, that's something that if you guys ever watched like my live videos, like I don't say it because I'm obligated to, I say it because I recognize it. Yeah. So like we have a team who, who generally, genuinely and generally likes coming into work we have customers that like that team, mm. and some of the customers that come in and they they're talking to Jake, who's our, who's our main guy, who's been there since day you know day sixty or whatever you know since three months in and, or whatever. So they come in, they're talking to Jake, and they don't even know who I am, which is pretty awesome because yeah. sometimes people treat me a certain way, and then I'm like, yeah, you know, when we first started, they're like, you you the owner, I'm like, yeah, and then like, oh, you know, oh, so, nice. but uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a transformation for sure. But it's all due to them, you know, and my other job is, uh, you know, it's a rental, it's a equipment rental and turnkey solution provider for pumping and pumping applications. And that's a growing company. Been super blessed to be um, somewhat intertwined, you know, the uh, with some people that were owners and some that are current owners of that business mm-hmm. that have, have a small investment in my business. So there's an understanding of, you know, I'm I'm gonna take calls for for vice throughout sure. the day. I have to when they call, you know. But also like when I'm at work, you know, my my number one is my day job. Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, but also the last thing is not just my staff, but like my wife. Mm-hmm. You know. So like horny as it may sound, like she's always had my back when we're going through stuff or when we have to buckle down and get things done. A couple of times throughout the time that we've been in business, we were looking at her off camera here. But a couple of times that we've been in business. It's like we get behind the eight ball on something that we didn't even know we were supposed to be doing. Yeah. And then it's like like uh, our bookkeeping. We were told by a contractor that we had hired that was out of state, hey, I'm keeping your books. And then we found out that they were deleting transactions out of our books. We found this out in April, so the tax year is already over. And uh, so she was instrumental in helping get that button down, get it done, yeah. You know, learning what we need to do. So a lot of support from a lot of people, yeah. and I'm super thankful for that. That's great, man. And like, that's a good, I'm glad you brought that up because in entrepreneurship, especially, you know, when we talk about it a lot on the show, getting support from loved ones, if you're married, it's a must. Yeah. You guys have to be on the same page before you jump into uh, whatever you're doing, because there are a lot more down times than good times when you first start out. There's a lot of hard times before the good times. Yes. And um, a lot of times entrepreneurships, entrepreneurs fail before, right before they even got to the good times because they didn't have the support at home. Yeah. So having the support at home, if you're single, mom, dad, brother, friends, I mean, you you will need emotional, sometimes just even someone to come actually help you on the business, but sometimes it's just someone to listen and be like, I'm freaking out right now. Yeah. And then just a rock. And, you know, it's like my wife is like that for me. Um, I can't tell you how many times in my first year of uh, doing insurance, I would like come home crying, borderline, just like, this is so hard. Mm-hmm. Like I thought for sure this was going to close and I had this deal lined up and all three failed and I don't think we're going to make money this month and we have to buy groceries. And, you know, she was just always just that constant. And if she wasn't in, in the same boat, like, I don't know what we would have done. Um, and if she was, you know, not believing in my ability to do this, um, I bet by year one, I'd be having a completely different life right now. Oh, yeah. Um, I, can, I can identify with that. So having your spouse be on board is instrumental to to a married entrepreneur. I'm, I'm assuming you would uh, agree with oh, that. Oh, 100%. You know, one thing I'll say uh, for anybody who is thinking about starting a business or who is currently operating one, like most of the time it is just very hard. Most of the time it is very hard. And one of the, the one of the things that has been very impactful in our lives is that I think that we have become a far more, a far better consumer and customer mm-hmm. uh, to the businesses that we patronize and trying to spend our money with people who are like us. Because before it was like, you know, why isn't my food here already? You know, like impatience, right? Mm-hmm. Or this level of service, or I want a discount like anybody else. And then like, once you get in those shoes and then you're like, okay, I get it. This guy, you know, Matt says he's making, you know, 70 bucks selling a Glock and his, he's paying his employees X. And then you start doing the math, but you don't ever <laughs> see like, 
Okay, I we had to borderline teach ourselves bookkeeping. Shout out to a good guy, Casey, who has helped me through that journey. But we had two years of terrible messes that back to back where it was so disheartening that I was like, we're not hiring anybody. I'm going to learn this. And I found a guy that was willing to teach me. Mm-hmm. So like people don't see that. It's like, hey, like for last year, the entire summer, like basically June to, I had to redo our, I had to redo our, our books three times to be able to get it right. Cause by, I just, things were messed up. It was awful. From the beginning. So January. So like, like my worst nightmare. Yeah. So like I engaged the guy in March and then in like May we started and we didn't finish getting stuff cleaned up until October. Like, dude, I and that was full-time job. That was full-time job. Like just, and then selling you're done so if you're out there and you're like man this is just hard like i'm, I'm there with you it is yeah. hard and uh but you do it because you don't do it because necessarily you always want to do it you do it because you can't not do it mm-hmm. and i was just having this conversation with my cousin who's a financial advisor and we were, were in similar places in our lives just years apart and um you know like there have been some disheartening things that have happened this year in our business you know, just decline in sales. And we had some employees that like left the business that we really liked and thought that they would be great. And then they left some things that we had to take care of and all this stuff. And you just go to customers that some customers who are less than gracious. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, like I'm just getting kicked and kicked and kicked. And then, you know, it's like, we were talking about that and it's like, but then I think about well, what if I just, you know, hypothetically, we just shut her down and sold everything off. Well then what would I do? And it's like, I would, go and start another business because I can't not. Mm-hmm. You know, if tomorrow we had to close the doors for whatever reason, I would take anything I could salvage or if I couldn't salvage anything. Yeah. Building burns down, we lose it all. Insurance doesn't cover it. Like I would be, I would be on to try and be an Something entrepreneur. Else, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's just there. You got to, you yeah. need to. And even, and even, uh, it's not even just, I got to start a business. It's like the reason I'm starting this business is deeper than just making a sale or just these hard sure. times. Like, Looking past that initial goal, I, you know, one of the guys, I, uh, Mike, on the podcast talking about, like, what's your goal behind the goal? Mm-hmm. Like, the goal behind the goal for, you know, me, uh, you know, with insurance, you can imagine the amount of uh, uncomfortable conversations we have to deal with people sometimes. And, you know, I still cold call. Like, I'm, I've done this for five years. I still cold call business owners trying to talk to them. Like, that's not fun. And sometimes it can be very discouraging in this business, but... You know, my goal isn't to sell another policy. My goal is what it brings when I can be successful in this career, which is mm-hmm. spending more time with my family, which is being able to do stuff like this and doing all like that's why I'm going to put myself through really hard, uncomfortable things. You might not even love there. There, there could be a point where you're like, I don't even know if I enjoy this anymore. I started this business and I used to love it. And this like what happened to me is like I used to love sales. I don't want to talk to anybody. Like I'm becoming an introvert, I think. But then having the Simon Sinek talks about this a lot and also just having the right perspective of you might not even, you might be going through a season of struggle, but focusing on deeper than that. Like really, what are you looking for, for this to accomplish? And that can really just bring you right back out of uh, the, the anxiety filled entrepreneur life that can happen. And be like, you know, I know why I'm going through this hard stuff. It's because on Friday, my wife asked me to go for lunch. And I said, sure. And I told my admin, hey, I'm going to wife, you know, lunch with my wife. People can't do that, like that are in different boats. Like that's a special thing. This yeah. is why I'm doing stuff like that. And, uh, you know, anyway, I, I think that's a, what you said is it's, it's important for entrepreneurs. And just guys, be ready. Yeah, my, uh, my uh, best friend and uh, business partner, his name's Steve. Uh, and he has, you know, brought me from the brink a couple of times. Like he, you know, he's basically like, aside from my wife, I talked to him probably the most out of any other person. Uh, she would, might argue maybe even sometimes more because I have an hour drive home pretty much every day. And I, I'll call him and we'll talk about things in the business. And, um, he's, he, he's brought exactly what you just set up several times. Like the whole concept of like this too shall pass. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. you feel this way. And it's super frustrating, but just remember like that it's not permanent. You know, we've been through some incredibly tough stuff. This year we've been through some incredibly tough stuff. And it's like, hey, like what's the worst case? Let's talk about that. And like even if that plays out in these situations, like like you're it's gonna pass. Tomorrow's gonna come. And if the worst thing that happens is the worst thing that could possibly happen, like 
So long as you know you're not in prison, then or or We're as, long, okay. as long as you're a free man and uh, and you have one dollar in your pocket, you can start back over. Yeah. You know, and so it's good perspective. Yeah, you know, it's good in, perspective. In the perspective of you know, when we were like four o'clock, it's our four o'clock. This coffee's hitting me. When we were <laughs> four years old, and you know, we wanted a cheeseburger for dinner, and then our mom made us broccoli and chicken. It was like the worst thing ever. And we were like, "How am I going to get through? My life is awful." <laughs> you know, and now we look back on it, we're like all of the things in my teens and my junior high years and college, you know, I had this big exam that I had to take in college and it was like the biggest hurdle I ever had to climb, you know, in those moments, it was like huge. Mm -hmm. And then looking back on it perspective, we're like, I was freaking out about that. Like, that's what I was freaking out about. And in our entrepreneurship journey, it's the same thing. Like right now it's just perspective. Like we, it's helpful for entrepreneurs to know, like, Five years from now, the struggle that you're going through today, you're going to be like, really? Like, mm-hmm. I lost sleep over that. Like, I, I got angry over that. That's a joke compared to yeah. what I'm dealing with right now. Yeah. You know, and that's just a helpful perspective thing that should give you a little bit of comfort. So it's funny that you say that because the part of the my day job is that we we do do disaster relief, emergency disaster relief. So like, like I'm on call 24-7, 365. And when, when in my earlier days when the company was smaller, um, we had, uh, you know, we do hurricane disaster well, response. So yeah. there's two, two weeks out of every year that we get a hurricane. And those two weeks, it's like 15, 18 hour days. You're on the phone all day, all night, coordinating stuff. So we actually had one thing happen, which is here in the Detroit area in Sterling Heights, there was a sewer line that collapsed in the end of 2016. Uh, on uh, Christmas Eve day. So I was, uh, at the time, I was like a branch level employee. I was uh, in charge of equipment coordination for a branch. We get the call. Owner calls me and says, who's on call? I was on call that weekend. I was about to be off work for for like uh, 14 days because of the holidays and how I time my time off. He's like, go to the shop. There's a there's something happening. So get up there with my team that was on call with me. And we ended up, uh, I don't even know if this is OSHA legal, but we ended up, we worked uh, the first day we worked 24 hours straight and we missed Christmas Eve and Christmas. And then after 24 hours, my boss said, go home, get sleep. I'll call you. So I went home. I slept for eight hours in the middle of the day. And I got a call that evening and he said, hey, I need you back up there. We ended up working uh, 36 hour shifts, 48 hour shifts, loading equipment, unloading equipment, getting stuff sent down because there was a 60 inch sewer line and it collapsed under the ground and had created a sinkhole that was swallowing a home. What happens when a sewer line collapses like that is that all the sewage starts to back up. And eventually, mm. if the line backs up, everybody who's on the line will get sewage their in their home, right? Through your faucets and your sinks and your drains and stuff like that. So we were setting up many emergency bypasses to basically uh, segment off, somewhere. right? Yeah. Like in as somebody who was in the facility, like I'm just loading equipment. I don't see what's going on on the ground. And like we were doing 24-hour shifts, 36-hour shifts, 48-hour shifts. We did that for two weeks, mm-hmm. nonstop. And walking away from that, it's like, okay, if I can live through that, if I can do that, it's so funny that you say that. And I tell my, you know, my staff, my team, this, it's like, hey, when you go through these trials, things are hard. It's hard to think of it then, but just try and think like, okay, if I can make it through this, then most of the things aren't really going to seem like that big of a deal. And at the time, I was in uh, college and I had some exams that were coming up, and I was like. I'm not even worried about these exams. If I can do that, man, yeah, I'm not honestly, worried about this, yeah. you know, like, so it's exactly what we just said, real life, you know, that was pretty Perspective pretty cool. is so, is so important in entrepreneurship. And honestly, um, I think it's kind of a good way to end us off because a lot of the people watching, I think it's an encouraging thing, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, like whatever you're going through, uh, perspective, have that understanding that you're going to grow as a person. You're going to look back at this and things are going to be okay. Um, and, uh, man, that was helpful to me. And honestly, cause this year, same with you, we've gone through some major valleys this year in business, very discouraging, like to the level of like, do I want to get out of this business? You know? Right. And, and so that's encouraging to me knowing that, um, these are opportunities for us to learn and uh, just get better. Um, all right, let's send this off, man. What do you want the people to know about vice? Give me a, a couple of things. Where do you want them to go? Uh, what do you want them to check out? Anything else you want to plug? Sure. So our website is www.vicearmory.com. I uh, probably just dated myself giving the three W's, but you got it. Uh, vicearmory.com. And you can check out, we have uh, classes and stuff. If you're in the 
greater Detroit area. If you're up by Flint, if you're in Michigan, you can, we have people drive from two, two hours away. Our prices are very reasonable. We're known for that. Customer service is there. And um, we also have services like laser engraving and things like that, that I mentioned earlier. So come and check us out. And we encourage people, we have free drinks like pop and water and all that stuff. We tell people come and hang out. There is no pressure to buy. If you just want to come and talk with friendly gun people and share friendly opinions, like we're there and we're going to be there anyway. So we'd be bored if you weren't there. Yeah. Come, come and hang out. We tell people that all the time. Come, just hang out. Don't buy a thing. There's no pressure. Mm-hmm. It's not like a used car lot or anything like that. So, um, And then one thing that I'll throw out there is we had a really good conversation. And like one thing I want to make clear is like I don't know everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, and I, every day is an opportunity to learn. Every day I learn that how much less I know about business or about something else. So, um, you know, like that's, that's really big for me. And I want to make that like clear. Like, I don't think I have it all figured out. I'm sure. not sitting at from a, an accomplished. And I am like, our business is a toddler. We, we got, we got rungs to climb here. So, yeah. But dude, when on the show, man, like that's the whole, that's what I, I try to bring the best out and it's exciting to show people what's possible. So sure. even if you have five employees and there's another gun store that has eight locations and hundred employees, five employees is impressive. And so don't, don't sell yourself short, but yeah, we're all learning. I'm learning. Um, I think that's the encouraging thing about talking to a fellow business owner is because like, you know, your field more than I know your field. And it's so cool seeing your growth. So cool seeing where you guys are going. It doesn't seem like you're stopping anytime soon. And that's exciting. You have a brand new building to look forward yeah. to. So currently you guys are located in Davison. Yes. Moving to Lapeer. Yes. Um, uh, you do have a website that you can sell things on as well. So guys, Absolutely. check out his website. If you're looking for any type of accessories, anything like that, guns, whatever, um, check out his website. Um, brother. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for I having me. I appreciate it. Guys, thanks for watching. Please subscribe if you haven't. Uh, we are having better, better conversations each time we do the podcast. Um, better guests. If you have anyone that you want me to inter- interview, let me know. Also visit our Instagram because that's where you get a behind the scene look at all this kind of stuff. If you are interested in coffee, don't forget that soon the show will have its own coffee blend.